0: coming through geocache talk A voice on the line i hear coming
1: through geocache talk it's time for geocache talk whether you are at work in the car or wherever you are we hope you enjoy this show about the great sport of geocaching if you're watching live on youtube you can be part of the adventure tonight in the chat room and participate with others as they watch the show. If you are listening later, please give it a like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so that you can get all
2: of the weekly geocache talk goodness. Well, there we go. The, in, the beginning of this one will be fun show. Um, thanks for a uh, big thanks to the travel bugs for our music. And all of our all of our patrons. Thank you so much. Uh, new patrons, RX Wranglers, Railroad, Mustard Devil, and Adi Olson. If you'd like to become a patron, head on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash geocache for more details. Or you can click on the become a patron link. It's on the front page of the website. Patrons get the now famous blackout coin. <laughs> He's got his coin. Jesse usually puts <laughs> yours in the car, but up oh, you're on you're on mute, buddy. May i unmute you. Oh,
1: oh, okay. There
2: you go. Now you're mute. Now you're
1: mute. Worthwhile anyway, so it's okay.
2: That's okay. <laughs> yeah, usually
1: I actually brought it in for my Jeep, so I'm I'm good.
2: Jesse carries his around. Um, also, um, other geocaching items during the year. Bonus content. Uh, book club.
1: Yep, coming up again soon.
2: Yep, New, another book that's cool. Uh, invites and special events only for patrons. Support levels start at as little as Bison Tube level. That's just three dollars, three dollars a month. Well, let's jump right into show two ten. We got a lot to cover and a lot to talk about. So we welcome to the show, Doctor Luther Beagle. Welcome to Geocache Talk.
0: Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here.
2: We are thrilled to have you here. We got a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. It's going to be fascinating and fun. Jesse and I are huge space nerds, <laughs> so uh, space geeks. I don't know what you want to call us. We're yeah. fans. They both probably space, are bad, right. Yeah, space right. space fans. So a um, lot of a uh, lot of people uh, in the chat room. If you have questions, obviously put it in the chat room. We'll look at it and we'll we'll. Um, throw it out there uh, if we can, and um, we'll just kind of go through and go from there. So good to see everybody there. Um, Burnt turtles. Hello, space cadets. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, tell us where you're from. That's always fun to see, too. Uh, All right. So people are... Appreciate you being on, and they spelled your name right, so that's that's good. That's always, hey, a, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always a good sign. Um, so, a little bit of your background, Doctor Beagle. You, um, oh, I'm a good. I was going to say, go, go ahead. You're. Um, I, I want to make sure I get this right. You're the deputy deputy division manager now.
0: Hmm. Okay. First. Okay. A, for science at Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, right. California, um, and I'm also the the Sherlock uh, instrument uh, principal investigator. That the Sherlock instrument is on the Perseverance rover that just blasted off uh, last
1: week. Yeah, yeah, pretty Perfect. cool. Yes, yeah.
2: We'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll definitely talk a lot about Sherlock and um, uh, the the rovers and and um, Perseverance. It's, it's um, it is it's fascinating, and uh, we'll uh, we'll dive dive into that. I, I want to talk a little bit at the beginning about some of the things that I had learned, and um, yeah, tricassius. Yeah, it's not it is rocket science. So there you go. <laughs> sure, hears that all the time. Yes, um, it's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. I come in peace. Uh, so there have been. Actually, quite a few. Uh, going back through the history of uh, Mars exploration attempts, uh, some successful, some not so successful. I was surprised that there were so many that have been attempted. You know, that, r- you know, over fifty of what I from what one person said. But um, the Russians had, you know, many failures of, a, of attempts. Yeah. But at least there. At least they you know is the video I watched to give them a golf clap because they really tried hard yeah. uh for many years um, we had we had several some failure but some success too
1: yeah.
2: uh, you know we had the if people remember or read about you know the Mariner and the Viking missions were were to me were fascinating growing up um, s- you know seeing um, seeing them discuss you know putting Uh, you know, putting them, putting, putting them either in orbit or putting something on, on the Mars surface uh, to me was just amazing. uh, Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. So what they did was, is they did a series, they did a series of mm -hmm. of basically experiments. They, they flew by first, the the original Mariners flew by, took pictures on their way by because they didn't know how to get into orbit. Then they figured out how to get into orbit. So we got into orbit and then, we got into orbit, and then we landed, uh, and then we took some time off, uh, and then we, we started going back, and we had a couple of failures along the way, because it turns out that sending something to Mars is hard, um, and, uh, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a learning experience, right, and you basically learn something every single time you go, and uh, that's, what we, that's where we are now.
2: Yeah, Tom's comment was, there's no failures, we just learned how not to do it. Right.
0: Or you you learn how you learn at best. The best failures are something that you learn something from. So there's a good failure and a bad failure, and uh, we we now have the ability to at least learn how we failed, and that's that's really important. Um, uh, that hasn't always been the case, but that's that's been a really important thing.
2: Yeah. Very cool. Um, so. Before we, we're, we're jumping ahead, Gary's
1: getting so excited, we're jumping ahead, but we haven't really got to your background yet. So before we skip that, it's not like you just stumbled into being a rocket scientist, right? you didn't, no. then- didn't
2: go to Indeed.com and oh. just sign up. I, no, it's a long line. Um, now, so
0: I, uh, I grew up uh, in, Delaware, in, in Delaware, went to the University of Delaware, uh, got a physics degree, decided to go to graduate school, uh, decided to go to a different part of the country, ended up at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, uh studied there for five years, got my PhD in, in physics slash physics. My advisor was really into the looking for life on other planets, uh, Tom Dowiak, who's passed away. And uh, um, I got a postdoc out of Jet Propulsion Laboratory, decided to come out here for a year. It's in Los Angeles, figured I, there's no way I want to live in LA, but I'm out <laughs> here for 23 years now. I have property, own kids, um, and I've uh, uh, been studying, trying to figure out how to look for life on other planets ever since. Um, and it's a beautiful thing cause it's, it's, it's multidisciplinary. All of my science friends think I'm an engineer and all of my engineering friends think I'm a
1: scientist.
0: Um, and you, you've learned all these different things. It's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful
1: ride. Was it that professor that, you mentioned that really got excited and decided that's the field you are going to be in or we already there, you know, like the, the professor was excited about, you know, life on other planets. Is that what really energized you? Cause you can go many ways with where you were at at that point, right?
0: yeah and i think that i the people that worked with me at uab they all went in different ways themselves um i just got energized the 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 thought of it's a real problem of how do we find life as we don't know it and what does that life look like and and you know one of the things that humanity's always thought about is is there other people in the universe and the best place to go look for that right now is europa enceladus and mars and so we're going Mm -hmm. to look for life on mars now or signs of life on Mars, and eventually we will check out Europa and Enceladus, and then, you know, eventually we'll start spreading out to other solar systems. The more exoplanets we find, the better the chance there's actually intelligent life out there somewhere, and mm. finding all that things is, is really what we want to do, because humanity always needs to explore.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. There's and so it's actually there's what geocaching
0: is, is exploring. It's We're exploring different places, and it, it
1: all ties back together.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: It does, and, and we love this planet, but... You know, it'd be good if we had humans on a couple other planets or a couple good safe places to go. Not that we can think of any parallels right now because we're not going to mention boring, you know, unpleasant stuff tonight. But there's some good reasons to have people in other places right now.
0: It it does. It does increase the chances of nothing bad happening to the entire species. Yes. (laughs) Multi-planet species is the the way, you know, we're probably destined to go.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: But it is hard. And that's the problem is that it's going to be hard no matter what we do. So little baby steps.
2: Well,
1: and you know, we can't ever, and those are, we're joking around a little bit, you know, with the that stuff, but you can't do that without people like you taking the steps. You'll never, you and I will probably never see a lot of these things that we dream they're going to happen, but you're doing those day-to-day things that, and like what we're going to talk about tonight, and the failed missions in the past, if we don't take those yes. steps, we're not going to get to those <laughs> other ones. You can't just jump to the end of it, so...
0: Uh, the funny thing is, is that uh, um, I don't like to fly. So I'm not going to Mars. And even if I did like to fly, what the quarantine has shown me over the years is that I cannot be in a very small confined <laughs> space with other people. So I'm not hardwired to do any, any, any astronauts. at oh, all. thank God somebody. is. is uh, yeah. For me. Um, you know, uh, I need to go outside. I need to walk. I need to get out move, and move. Yeah. Not gonna
2: happen, <laughs> yeah. I'm um, we all agree, agree with you. So, I'm kind of yeah. claustrophobic, so I don't, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not interested in that. I, whenever they crawl in those little tiny things, it's like, oh, it's yeah, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I'm anything. so glad somebody can, that's right. Um, you know, speaking of that, the life part, um, we talked before and and I and we, you know, did some checking this week, but um, there was some possibility there was some some uh meteorites that have been studied here on earth and that's something i, di- I didn't realize we we're going to talk a little bit too about as far as meteorites martian meteorites uh mm-hmm. and um there was uh, you know talk a little bit about how there was some discussions you know of cutting into one of the meteorites and then trying to look at it and going well i think these are i think this is actual life and they're like well wait a minute is it really life or what is this? So the,
0: one of the gentlemen that actually came up with the idea of putting the geocache on the, the, the show at target, which we'll get to, uh, is a guy by the name of Mark Fries, who is a researcher at the at Johnson Space Center. And one of the things he's, he does is he does the meteorite curation uh, with Francis McCubbin and Aaron Burton and a whole bunch of other people at at Johnson some cool. really good people and so what they what we do is we send people down to Antarctica and we go to Antarctica and we look on the white ice sheet and you look for black things and the black things are probably meteorites right. and so right. every year they send a bunch of people down there they go collect meteorites and of those meteorites a very small percentage are turn out to be from Mars um, there are other places where meteorites fall a lot that you see deserts and other places um, just because it's easy to pick up on oh that's a black thing in yeah. that yeah yeah. in that yellow sand so we do pick up those those meteorites and they do tend to be from mars and um uh, a few of them uh i don't know what the percentage is but it can't be more than a percent it's probably less than that but what happens is is that it's something comes and hits mars mars is very cratered blows things out into space and occasionally that those things make their way to earth um there's even been people that have theorized that panspermia can take place which is one planet sending life to another planet i, I don't know if any of that happens But that's a theory. So one of the things that was really interesting in the astrobiology field is that in 1996, uh, there was a paper in science um, that looked into a Martian meteorite called Allen Hills 84001. And what that means is that meteorite was found on a place called Allen Hills in Antarctica in 1984, and it was the first meteorite picked up. Turns out that meteorite was from Mars. And when they cut this meteorite open, they found a lot of things in there that made them think that there was life associated with that rock. And so they published the paper, and what happened is in the community, um, the community went crazy, and we started thinking about this, and we started moving on. And in fact, if you've ever seen the movie Contact, the press conference that Bill Clinton was giving was about that meteorite, and they just took a little bit of it, and they put it in the movie Contact. And so uh, as a community, we started really thinking about, you know, what what is life? How do we find it? How do we detect it? And that really did kick off this entire um, discussion of what life is and how to go find it. And, and you know, it's, it's we're um, we're not necessarily going to look for life. We're looking for what we can, what we call a potential biosignature, which means that it could have been alive. Uh, and um, it just changes things up uh, a lot. And then that's the theory. That's what we're doing moving
2: forward. Cool. We have people who are, they're volunteering already. <laughs> there is actually a call, um,
0: and it, it usually is from the NSF. Uh, and the NSF asks for volunteers, and you can write a proposal, uh, and you can go down. I, I don't know how many people end up going down um, every year, but um, uh, there is a, there is a call. Uh, so you just look for that on the NSF website.
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, to, 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 moving on to let's talk a little bit about, uh, this is a fascinating story that you told me and I went and did, did some looking cause we're, we're going to talk tonight about, obviously we're going to talk about the trackable here in a little bit. Um, but we want to talk a little bit about, and later about some more geocaching, but something that you guys did, uh, on, um, was it opportunity? The, the wheels of uh, opportunity. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it was Curiosity. It's curiosity. It's the Mars Science right. Laboratory. Yeah, Curiosity. So tell the story he told me about um, the pl- – Well, pl- it, so
0: <laughs> it, we have – um, part of what we're putting on the rover is uh, we're putting on um, the, the geocache coin and the maze, which we'll talk about here in a bit, and, and the space suit material, um, is we, we put things on the rover uh, for a reason. Usually they're texts – but there's always a reason for them we just don't throw them throw things on there uh and and, and we'll discuss that later but one of the things that uh, um we we do need to do is we um we uh, for rovers the big giant rovers is you're never quite sure how far you go and the, the rover needs to kind of understand what that is so when right. the wheels when the wheels turn around there's holes in the, in the individual wheels and on curiosity the wheels uh have a bunch of holes that are different sizes and shapes and you roll over things and you can look behind you and you can tell how much you're slipping and how much you're ever going right. and the story behind that was uh um that uh it was going to say JPL. um but um you know it, that that brings too much attention to us uh and you know the cast in on the bag you can look this up online um but that brings too much attention to us because it really is an it really is more than just one center it's everybody doing it we've had help from both Goddard and JSC and, and, and ASC and everybody else. So um, it was decided not to put the letters JPL in so obvious uh, configuration. Right. So what happened was is then on the wheels themselves, now the holes are basically Morse code for JPL. So it doesn't really scream out JPL. You really have to see, <laughs> there you go. So you, you, when you when you roll over things, you see the little thing on the signs and it, it spells out JPL. Um, And it's one way of uh, uh, just making sure that we're going where we think we're going with as long as we're going. And the reason this is important is because the maze target, which we'll see later in the show, uh, we had to prove to them that it didn't spell something out when you solved it, like JPL rules the world or something else like that. Um, We wanted to, we we made sure that there is no, nothing that it spells out. And it's just part of the getting the process through the system. Um, You know, they wanna make sure that we're not doing anything comparison because you know you know it's we're scientists sometimes we 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 think things are funny but they're not
2: (laughs) um can i get you to turn your uh turn your speakers down just a touch dr beagle i'm getting i get kind of getting a weird feedback thanks sir um
1: that you mentioned that because you know we watch we're not scientists right we there may be some listening but gary and i are not so we watch movies like you mentioned contact and things like that and we even we believe, were like, that seems kind of silly because it's it's movies, right? But it's got to mm-hmm. be a different perspective when you and your scientist buddies are watching that, right? The, uh, the Is it just hard to watch those or can you dismiss reality enough?
0: It, it depends on the movie. You know, there are issues with certain movies. Like I can't watch Armageddon, but I can watch Deep Impact. I can't watch Armageddon at all. It just it bothers me because they try to take it too seriously and it, it just bothers me But John wick is one of my favorite movies and there's nothing scientific about that at all right. Um, right. It really depends on how well they're doing it and and what and how they're they're showing things mm-hmm. um, I just watched that ex machina last night and that's a great movie and I you know, you can you just feel it, but then I go back to one of the movies of my youth, which is actually what got me into planetary science in the first place, which is Robinson Crusoe on Mars. And I made the mistake of watching that again. I should never have watched that again after I was seven. Just <laughs> uh, complete, but awesome. but the movies awesome. do it. But we do. There are a lot of funny things that we end up doing. We all have weird senses of humor. Um, you know, we on Sherlock, we of course we put on a, a camera, and we of course had to call that Watson. And we had to our, our our cables that go down the line. We made up an acronym for that, Adler. We submitted a proposal called Moriarty one time, and it's just it, you get in, you get into this thing world uh, after a while, where you just you're just having fun. So you sit around and think of things. So we oh. have like acronym parties where we just think of acronyms. It's yeah, all goofy. It's just goofy fun. It's good stuff.
2: You yes. actually have a, a guy named Acroman, right? Is he a
0: well, that's the guy that came up with the, bro, uh, Bartillo is the deputy PI. He came up with the, the the Sherlock acronym and the Watson acronym <laughs> right. and the Adler acronym. And so awesome. yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, and there, you know, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's something you have geeky humor. Um, you know, you, you sometimes watch things. There was a great quote from SETI after uh, contact, which is they were talking about the guy playing golf while he was listening to the sounds and the guy from SETI said, no, that was completely unrealistic. Everybody knows we sit around and play civilization instead of golf. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's just little things like that. And, and you know, we talk, we talk in the industry and, you know, and we just, we have a good time sometimes and it's, a, but it's all geeky fun. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Job, but it's still people in the job. So
0: yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I, I worked on when I worked on curiosity, I was, I was a scientist that helped drilling process. And somebody asked me, why aren't we drilling more? And I said, look, it was up to me. I would be spelling my name in the sand with the drill. So it's, you know, we're doing the best we can with what we have. um, But
2: so, yeah. Nice. Uh, So I want to show a couple items uh, tonight because I find them fascinating to talk about. So this is kind of a cool site um very oh, yeah. there's a little perseverance out there moving it's moving its way along i like this because uh i mean is this a fairly you think it's a fairly accurate depiction of the
0: it's the, it's pretty accurate so it tells you exactly how far away we are exactly how the speed and the rotation and everything like that in fact there was a we saw a gentleman that had, had done a ground base. uh you can do ground-based telescopes that watch the watch the rover as it went away because you Mm -hmm. get um, fainter and fainter as it moves away but he actually mapped out the rotation period um, from the light curves and that was just awesome to do there's actually a a really cool website called i think it's eyes on dsn uh, at jpl and that's a fascinating website too if you if, if you have that up um, yeah, but this yeah. one we watch all the time, too, just watching how far away it's getting and, and realizing how far of a distance everything is. It's, it's, it's mind boggling at times. Yeah.
2: I've got – okay, it's the – okay, it's this one. Okay, let me switch. Yeah, because um, I, I – you know, it, it's amazing when you see – this one's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, we're traveling pretty fast, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, seventy-two thousand seven hundred ninety-five miles per hour, and I like the fact that it says speed relative to the sun.
0: Right, Uh, everything's relative. Uh, And the problem, the problem is though, is that we've got to take that speed down to zero when we get on the surface, and that's where a lot of the the real stress comes in, which is the landing uh, in February, Um, when you go from seventy-two. Thousand miles an hour to zero in about oh. seven minutes. So you know, everything has to go right there There's not a lot of room for error The and hence the reason they call it the seven minutes of terror,
2: right? Yeah, right, exactly. yeah. exactly. So uh, That's the other fascinating thing to me is is that we're traveling You know, we need distance to travel to Mars two hundred and seventy-four currently two hundred seventy four million mm-hmm. miles. miles yeah. it's going down though. Look, it's (laughs) getting closer every second (laughs) before he traveled 18 million, right? 18.5 million. Have I read that right?
0: Pretty fascinating. It's been a week.
2: Yeah. Uh, And you you know, like you said, uh, uh, when I get into tonight, but I mean, it it is amazing to think about, um, you know, getting once you get there, like you said, it's like, you got to make sure everything's just right or you don't, you know, you don't go, (laughs) I mean, Uh, the, the orbiting, you know, you know, do you get into, we go straight to the surface. We hit the the outer outer
0: atmosphere going 72,000 miles an hour relative to the sun. Uh, we, there's a, there's a heat shield that, Mm -hmm. that hits first. And that, that takes us down, uh, to a, a whole lot. It dumps up a lot of energy in the atmosphere, but Mars's atmosphere isn't that much. It's about one one hundredth of the Earth on the surface, so it's not a lot to slow us completely down. So after that, we have a parachute. Um, that parachute gets us down to a couple hundred miles an hour. Um, right. And once we get down to that, that we get rid of the parachute because we don't need it anymore. Uh, and then we come in and we do want something called the sky crane, and that's a, that's a powered descent. Yeah. And so if uh, the sky crane is on top of the rover. It's basically grabbing the rover. You get to a, right above the surface mm-hmm. and then the Ooh. rover, basically the sky crane holds still and the rover gets lowered down slowly, hits the ground with its wheels down, disconnects and then this thing flies away. And then we're, we're good to go. We're up and running on the surface, which isn't as Ooh. crazy as the old way of doing it for the, the MER rover Spirit and Opportunity. Those were big bouncy balls. So yeah, in that, we yeah. did everything except the sky crane. It was a big bouncy ball, you'd blow up, and then you just bounce across the surface to find it that's, until you stop bouncing. Uh, you open up, and then you just roll you just roll over roll up off the
1: platform. It's, it's what's amazing, it's, amazing is that we pitched that idea. Like right, we're, going to this we're going to put it in a big bouncy ball and shoot mm-hmm. it. Tomorrow. Like, yep, That had to be in an interesting first meeting. So. If
0: they're all interesting first meetings because even the sky crane is, is insane when you first look at it. You're like, why would you, what? what? And, and they talk about this on the, there's a YouTube video, Seven Minutes of Terror, you, everybody should check out. Mm. They talk about it on this when the first you see it is you're like, that's this is insane, why would you do that? There's gotta be a better way. This doesn't look like it's gonna work. But then the more you get into it and the more the engineers uh, put pens to paper and, and, and do their CAD models, it actually is good engineering and the engineering is solid. It's worked in the past, um, and we we take it and we run with it, and uh, we move along. Um, it, it it's it's fascinating that it works, um, but it does because of the great engineering of the whole of the whole entire team. And then when I was talking about different centers, you know, we've had we've had help with that at EDL with from places like Langley and other other centers, which is you know what really what makes NASA great is we have specialties all over the country.
2: Had a question come in um, uh, and again. If if you get your volume of yeah. uh, your, I'm getting feedback from you, Dark. Sure. Field. See if you can get okay, your no. the speaker part. Yeah. So appreciate that. Um, so, do you have to account? I know that there's points during your tr- your journey that you can make some course minor course corrections if you yes. had to, right?
0: We do. We we make uh, we make several course corrections because. Right. Yeah, the planet's moving a little faster, a little slower. The sure. spacecraft is moving a little faster, slower. So you you do change your course a little bit,
2: but is there's there- not
0: there's not a lot of space debris. Um, okay. uh, contrary to the movies where you know uh, what was it? Uh, uh, we, Empire Strikes Back, where they're in the their asteroid field. It doesn't look like that. They're so far spread out that you know you don't really ever see anything. Um, cool. you very seldom run into anything, and it's a, it would be a shocking. If we if we hit anything on the way, because space right. is a vacuum right. for all intents and purposes.
1: Hold right. on, are you saying that Star Wars is not accurate? <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> there's there's a few there's a few physics things that are wrong with it. Yes, okay. just a few.
1: Just a few of them. Okay,
0: just a few. Yeah. Uh, we could know, we could sit here and just and critique every movie. That would be you know we, we bad bad uh, science uh, is always fun to do on movies. We actually do that as a as a group. We will watch a movie and then just dissect the science because. Oh, Sometimes we, it, it's fun to think about. Like I don't in Star Trek, I don't understand how you can be going faster than light and look look behind you and see what's behind you because the light <laughs> can't catch up. And so once you think about that, just all of Star Trek is just is probably, you're right. That doesn't work. You have no idea what's behind you.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about talking about the rover a little bit and things that are on the rover, and mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, some of the connections and your connections with the with geocaching is uh, is interesting, uh, and a lot of a lot of JPL employees geocache as you mentioned uh, before. Mm-hmm. That, that's really cool. Um, so I was doing some reading and I noticed that um, <clears throat> it has on. Uh, you guys are taking up a. Is this still accurate? Are you all taking up a drone? Is that right? So the, oh, the, the payload has seven instruments uh, and we do doing sample
0: return. And, but one of the things, the really cool things is a tech demonstration and that's a helicopter. And the helicopter is on the belly pan of the Rover. It's, it's, it's on the belly pan. Um, and at one point during the first couple of months of the mission, uh, they will take us cause we have a really cool camera called Watson. And then we will, we will look underneath the pan and we will watch the helicopter drop uh we will back up and that helicopter then will fly and it's supposed to fly a you know a handful of times uh it can fly for about two maybe one or two minutes um at a time and it's got to be close to the rover for, for telecon but it's a tech demonstration and if it works uh it really shows you how to move forward so everything moves forward on mars so pathfinder was a very small rover it's about the size of a shoebox, a little bigger than a shoebox. And now we've got rovers that are as big as mini coopers and what happens is, is you learn a little bit from the, the the rovers like uh soldier you get them more advanced you get myr two MER rover spirit and opportunity and then you get something as big as msl which is you know the, the spirit and opportunity were about 200 kilograms each mm-hmm. uh, msl or curiosity was 900 kilograms each were a thousand kilograms and it just gets more and more complex as you go along because you learn more. You don't have to reinvent things you already figured out how to do. The problem is, is, if you do too much at one time, then it's way too complicated, uh, and that becomes very difficult to do as well. So you 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 do take giant leaps forward, but you you want to make sure that you can actually stand when you leap. So with the with the helicopter in, ingenuity, um, it will take you know a handful of launches. Um, and then it'll map the ground, it, it'll send back a couple pictures, and then we'll like, be able to see where we are. And eventually, one day, this may lead to a helicopter-rover combination, where the helicopter could go out and take you know, images of a kilometer away, and the rover then could move a lot further. So the problem with the rover moving is the rover kind of has to know where it's going. Otherwise, like they did in the Big Bang Theory, you could fall off a cliff, right. so you, which would be bad, um, in case you're wondering on difference between good and bad. Um, and the rover itself, uh, you know, you, you map things out of where you want to go. So the rover can go as far as it can see and then a little bit further with visual odometry. But if you had a map of, of where you were going, that rover can go a lot further. And so maybe the next rover does that. Maybe the next rover can go a, kilo, a kilometer. In a in a sol, a, an individual sol, and uh, by the way, a sol is a day on Mars. Mars, twenty five hours versus twenty four hours on the Earth. Mm, yeah. And so this this is a tech demonstration that leads to something bigger, and everything
2: leads to something bigger
0: and, and better, and that's why we do what we do.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Joe Beds mentioned about flying in one one hundredth atmosphere. Yeah, I did I did read where the RPMs on the on Ingenuity have got to be spinning fast.
0: It's pretty cool. Uh, I I think I know I've seen a video, I don't know whether it's on YouTube of it flying in the in the Mars chamber. We have a Mars chamber JPL. It's a thirty-three foot chamber that gets basically pumps down Mars pressure Mm -hmm. Uh, and it those those blades do cook. Um, It's pretty cool uh, to watch it. And there's actually microphones on this this particular mission. So we'll be able to hear the helicopter if it's not too far away. the Mars, Mars's atmosphere is not very good at conducting sound because of the, the low uh, pressure. But you might be able to hear it, and which would be really awesome to, to be able to hear sounds. We should be able to hear the drill, and we should be able to hear the laser from SuperCam as it drills into uh, rocks on the surface. So um, uh, it'd be really, it's going to be a really cool mission.
2: Yeah, there's a um, um, uh, kind of interesting you're doing with the, um, you mentioned you actually put in the show notes was, was kind of interesting. Is um, Perseverance is we leaving geocaches basically, yeah, they're geocaches, uh, not, yeah. Not, not, the, not in the terms that we think of a geocache, but it's leaving caches on the surface as it goes along. It you're taking samples, right, and you're gonna be leaving yeah. them. So, there, yeah. there's a lot of FTFs out there if people want to go up there. <laughs> It's a good, it's a very good
0: analogy. So what this mission is going to do is we talked a little bit about how difficult it is to find life in a rock. And and the Allen Hills 84001 showed us how difficult that was. And in fact, we still argue a lot about whether or not there was life in ancient earth rocks. So last year, I went to Australia, to the outback, to the Straley Pool Formation, which is 3.4 billion years. And you can see the story in the Straley Pool Formation, and you can believe that Okay, I can see where, the, where I'm looking at was ancient life. But then you go to a place like Greenland that has 3.5 billion year old rocks, mm-hmm. and we're having this big debate on whether those rocks actually had life associated with it. And one thing I'm fairly certain about is that Earth had life associated with it at one point anyway. So we already know that there's life on the Earth, and we're still having these scientific debates on whether or not these rocks are biogenic or not. So on mars we have the same issue except we're never quite sure whether there was life on mars and if there was life on mars it's probably really small microorganisms you know single cell bugs right. as we like to call them so whenever i say bugs from here on in i'm talking about single-celled organisms not you know the sand kings from the old out um uh, outer limits episodes um but we 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 need to we need to think about how to do that. And so it's become apparent that one of the best ways to do this is that no one instrument is going to be able to tell you whether or not ancient life was ancient life is associated with a particular sample. So this particular mission has a great science payload and we're going to do great science on the surface. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to go out and pick out samples from specific spots where we know what it was like. So we're going to a river delta in Jezero crater, Jezero crater um this is a river delta it had hydrothermal material on the on the the place where we're going to land we're landing right in front of the uh, ancient river delta we're going to climb up the river delta and we're going to go to an ancient uh ancient beds where there was liquid water flowing and we're going to pick up samples that we think may have had life associated with them we're going to put them in tubes about this big about one centimeter in diameter we're going to seal them up drop them on the surface and eventually another (laughs) rover Probably in 2026 or 2028 goes picks them up, brings them back to a uh, Mars Ascent Vehicle or MAV, uh, and then those samples will eventually be returned to the Earth in the early 2030s, and then we'll be able to tell for certain whether or not there was life associated with that rock or not. Um, so we we go from a place of us identifying potential biosignatures on the surface, us meeting the science team of, of Perseverance to bring in that sample back to verifying and in, in, in with instruments that may, may or may not even exist at this point or maybe this is a house that you can't put on a rover and then we'll take those particular samples and, and start answering these questions did mars have life associated with it did mars not could mars have had life associated with it was it habitable um what what's the history of this sample uh is the sample really what we thought it was? Is there anything we can learn from it more than we would on the surface? And the answer to those questions is always yes. The problem with the Martian meteorites now is you're not sure where they came from and they've been altered by the impact of, the, of a rock. So I can take a little piece of Mars and hold it in my hand and say, well, I, I, I think this is a basaltic lava or, or you know, uh, some other material and, but I don't know where exactly where it came from. Did it come from a river Delta? Did it come from a hydrothermal vent? Was it, you know, was it altered? What is, what is exactly going on with that rock? The samples will bring back will have been, all of those will be documented. And that, that adds a level of detail, which you can never get. So I go back to talking about Australia and Greenland, with those rocks, if you take those rocks out of the context, you kind of lose the whole story. So I've had some of the uh, Australia pulse from samples in my lab before. And, you know, I'm always looking at them going, yeah, okay, I can buy that it was life, but I can also think of other reasons why it can't be, you know, I can understand why it could be this, it could be that. Well, when I'm actually sitting there in the whole geologic setting and understanding that th- what this place was like, that this was a, a shallow ocean because of this feature over here and that feature over there, and this is what happened here, and this is why these things got pushed up the way they are, and they actually were flat at one point, it just changes the way you look at the sample. And it's really important to, to be able to pick that up. And that's one of
2: the one of the
0: real highlights of what perseverance is going to do.
2: So what happens <laughs> if
1: ooh, little feedback?
2: We're getting feedback yeah.
1: What happens if it's successful and we do find evidence of life at some a million years ago, whatever, on Mars in the movies? Obviously, there's a one of two options. The government covers it up or they attack <laughs> us and take us all over, right? But right. Talking about in real life. And I'm sure there's that's a that's a discussion, like what happens when we actually find the thing that we're looking for? So what does that really look like? I mean, I still, you know. That's a that's
0: an excellent question. If we found something that we could only think came from life, which would be called a biomarker, which the only way this happens, a dinosaur bone. Or something walking in front of our view. Um, uh, for most of it, for on this mission, a lot of the images and things come down and are available to the public before they're available by the science team. They automatically get uploaded to the to a website, a Mars Viewer website. So the public actually sees the pictures. It takes it's about a three minute delay between when the science. Uh, servers get a hold of them and when the public viewers get a hold of them because they're not they're not processed or not anything else like that so you know i i i don't know what would happen but from an image perspective the, the public would see it um I, I don't know i don't know how people would react um that's above my pay grade and, and not something <laughs> i don't have to worry about i'm i'm sure that somebody's thought about it um uh it, it goes back to the whole, if we got an extraterrestrial signal, what would happen? I know what the movies say, the evil scientists and the evil government will hide it and things like that. But uh, most, pe- most scientists love to talk and love to talk about what they do because they get really excited about it. And I, I can't imagine anybody not, not talking about it because we're going to have missions to Europa and Enceladus in my lifetime, hopefully, that will actually go looking for extant life. Um. Once again, it's all single-celled organisms, so it's not, you know, not Godzilla or you know, sea monster. Um, I wouldn't think that those missions would have any problem saying, "Yeah, we think we found life uh, on Enceladus and Europa," and and let the public deal with that as they would. Now, the funny thing is, is that there's the exact opposite question, which is, what happens if we find no life anywhere else? Which is another equally fascinating question. No matter what the answer is, Mm -hmm. whether Mm -hmm. there's life in our solar system, it's a fascinating question because. What it does is it, it there's a, uh, you know, the idea of how much life is there in the universe is really directly related to this question of, is there life elsewhere in the solar system? If there's only life on the earth, then maybe life is really rare in the universe. If there's life everywhere else in the solar system, maybe life really only needs water and energy source and organics. And then it basically starts anywhere else. And that means the, the whole galaxy would be teeming with life. Right. Um, right. and so that, that's a whole different question, but if there's no life, maybe life is really rare, uh, and maybe we should, you know, think about what we're doing to the planet a little more, but, um, you know, either way, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And it, at, from an ethics perspective, there's a lot of uh, different things you can actually think about of, of where you would go with that, um, with that answer.
2: Right. So, here's so the, uh, we talked about before, it's not exactly accurate but fairly accurate uh, all the different um, systems that are on board um, you, you f- your focus was uh, pretty much on Sherlock and and Watson it mm-hmm. has the camera and now we're about to we'll get into uh, the calibration how the geocaching part came about um, I am fascinated by these other systems I think it's uh, amazing. Yeah, so let me. I can go through them real
0: quick if you want. So, so um, all right, we'll go through. So, Sherlock is an arm-mounted instrument. We have Watson part of us. We're a Raman and fluorescent spectrometer uh, that does microscopic imaging. We have Pixel on the other side of us, and that's Abby Allwood's instrument. She's a JPLR, and that does uh, X-ray spectrom. That's an X-ray spectrometer, and what that does is it gives elemental abundance. So it can tell you there's silicon in the rocks, which we already know, but what what level of trace metals there are in the rocks. And that can that can lead back into the question of life uh, itself too, because life likes different types of elements. And if we see something that doesn't make any sense uh, from an elemental perspective, perhaps that's biology at work. Meta is a rep weather station. Uh, Jose Antonio is a PI of that. He's from Spain that was donated by the Spanish uh, with some uh, NASA um, hardware associated with it. And it does wind speed direction humidity, pressure, things like that, it's, it tells you what the weather's like on any particular day. There's a website, uh, it's based based on an instrument on MSL, and there's a website that uh, um, that uh, uh, has the weather every single day um, that you can go look at. SuperCam is uh, the next generation of the ChemCam instrument that was on Curiosity, and this is a, uh, a laser-based instrument that shoots out a high-powered laser beam that makes a little poof of smoke and you look at the light that comes off that and you can tell elemental abundance uh, and the difference between that and pixel is, is this can do elemental abundance far very far away from the rover up to like 5 to 10 meters. It can also do ramon spectroscopy like we're doing but it does it in much bigger spots. Our spot size is the size of a human hair to 100 microns. So it's a very very small laser spot. Their spot size is, is much bigger than that uh, and they're looking for more mineralogy and we're looking for more organics. Masscam z is what brings us back to pretty picture Jim Bell, uh, University of Arizona. No, you know, Arizona State. Sorry, Jim. Uh, and that is, uh, does great uh, uh, panorama cameras. If you saw the billion um, uh, pixel uh, image from the top of Mount Sharp that we released about six months ago, that's what Masscam z that's what uh, Mastcam was, and this is Masscam z the next generation of it. WIMFAX is uh, uh, a product of Norway. It was donated, uh, uh, Svenerik, uh is the PI of that, and that's a ground-penetrating radar. So we'll be able to look at what's underneath us uh, to hundreds of meters down so we can actually see what's in the subsurface. And that, that's really cool when we're going around driving because we can see subsurface structure, which goes back into telling us where, you know what we're looking at in terms of the history of the particular site that we're at, which is really important for the sample cache. Moxie is a really cool instrument. Um, and what that's going to do is that's a, another one of these tech demonstrations for the, the humans if you like to call them. And what that does is that pulls Martian CO2 out of the atmosphere and turns it into oxygen uh, to demonstrate that it can be done on the surface and, and why we want to do that. It's not only for the astronauts to breathe, uh, but much more important from that is oxygen. Oxygen is a uh, part of rocket fuel. So if you're ever going to come back from Mars, if you send humans there, you might want to generate oxygen on the surface because that way you don't have to bring it with you. Uh, it's millions of dollars per kilogram to bring things with you. If you made an instrument that was, you know, in the hundred million dollar range that could save you thousands of kilograms of mass, you could you would bring that with you. And it's basically living off the land, kind of what Columbus did with the boats. And then the last one was ingenuity, which is on the sorry, the, the um, uh, which is you can kind of see right there by where Moxie is. That's you can kind of see the picture of. Oh yeah, of the helicopter, and that's the payload. Um, and, and with the addition to the the drill on the end of the arm, and then the uh, uh, adaptive caching system.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things that you do, and you probably this has probably been probably on every rover, is that you need to be able to calibrate the camera. Correct? Is that sort of a thing you do? pretty much every time just to- We have argue. to calibrate
0: the camera and the spectrometer. So uh, there's, you know, things move around. We're on the side of a drill. Drills like to move. Spectrometers don't like to move. Um, it's kind of like a natural enemies of each other. We're trying to get them living in peace. Um, but, you know, we wanna make sure that when we see a peak and we say that peak is at a certain wavelength, that that peak is at that wavelength. And there's no way to calibrate it without looking at something you already know. And so we have this calibration target, what we look at occasionally, and then we can, and that's a picture of the calibration target and Trevor Graff. Um, and you can take a look at the material on there, and you can say, OK, I know this is Teflon. So Teflon has these three peaks at these particular wavelengths, and then we can calibrate the instrument from that particular calibration target. And that's what we've put together.
2: And so this time, somebody we will talk about uh, how this sort of came about, but somebody I, I decided, hey, we could, we could put a trackable code on it, a geocaching yeah. trackable code. Who was that?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, that was the group at uh, Johnson Space Center. Uh, it was uh, Mark Fries and Francis McCubbin came up with the idea. Um, and they handled the talking with the geocache people while I handled the talking of the people who would allow us to do this. Um, and so uh, if you have a picture of the target,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, there's... And there's a lot also, of things on there. What's yeah, that? I was going to say real fast is that I think a lot of people have seen the trackable code, but are trackable, the trackable. They haven't seen the code yet. Um, but don't get too excited because you can't log it yet, but yeah. we'll show you the trackable, which I don't know if everybody's seen this or not yet, but here's the the trackable right here. Wow.
0: Down there at the bottom of Baker street. Now the, The black and white on the outer rim should not be visible that's there to see if we've actually shifted in the in the calibration target um that shouldn't be visible but everything on there is on there for a reason um and the first and especially with the the maze uh we had a lot of issues so you know we're 180 million miles away with the rover and it turns out that the rover arm is really really good but the rover arm isn't perfect it can't get you down we're on the we're on the micron scale which is you know uh one one hundredth of a millimeter um and our laser spot size and our ability to pick things up is on the tens to hundreds of micron scale so we have a very fine uh piece of equipment and the rover arm itself can only guarantee to about a half a centimeter which is really really good if you think about it because it's a 100 pounds on the end of that arm 180 million miles away with the temperature swings every day of 100 degrees C and it can get you to where you need to be on to the order of a half of half a centimeter but that's not good enough we need we, we there's some things that we need to figure out um, so on the, the calibration target itself on the top of it you have all of these patterns which are we know exactly how thick the pattern is So when we take an image of it we can see how well the camera is working. We can take we and we can see how well the cameras working both at the top and by the dancing man cypher at the bottom. Um, so uh, they both act the, act the same thing and we can't guarantee that the image we're going to get will have the images on the top. So we'll be able to look at the bottom and, and tell how well our cameras working. Um, the reason why we have the maze, for example, is we have a scannable yeah, yeah. laser that goes through and we can do line scans. And so we needed something that no matter how well the arm positioned us, whether it was off by a half a millimeter or whether it was rotated a little bit, whether we could scan across and tell how big our laser spot size is. And we did a lot of designs and we couldn't figure it out because there was always something wrong with the design. And then uh, Trevor and company at, um, at JSC came up with the idea of let's do a maze, because no matter what happens, no matter how the arm puts us on this particular target, When you scan across i can tell you how big my laser spot size is regardless of what i'm looking and that's really important um so between the two of them we can tell how good our instruments working both optically and from a laser perspective is the laser spot getting bigger is it getting smaller is it doing something we don't expect um because there's nobody on on the spacecraft to to tell how well it's working we have to take an image of something we know and take a spectrum of something we know to determine how well everything's working and so that's uh, that's why we came up with both those things, and it's uh, it was a pretty cool idea when we first came up with the Baker Street idea. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that is so cool. Uh, yeah, I've got the um, I got the page again. Uh, you know, people want to get get excited, and go try to log it. They can't yet, but uh, there's the trackable yeah. uh, TB5EFXK, and of yep. course it's
1: locked. So, well, and you look at it, and this is interesting, too, because uh, it's really not really public yet. This page, there's already almost 2000 people watching it, just waiting to see what happens. Yeah,
0: that's pretty. Interesting. Yeah, we're not sure when the first time we're going to take a picture of it either. So I think I think it doesn't go live until we actually take the picture. So right. um, that could be months uh, into the mission, depending on how the first checkout phase is, because we check everything out for the first couple of months making sure everything works and we haven't put that plan together yet. So uh, be patient, everyone. We're, we're working as fast as we possibly can to get it up and live.
2: It's a great idea. And I mean, we've all been, you know, th- this whole, this whole process was really cool, especially for, for people like Jesse and I were like, Oh my, this is You know, some other people are like, eh, you know, space, you know, boring. It's like, no, no, this is fascinating. And I'm so glad that, that you guys got involved. And like you said, There had to be some, based on things that, you know, (coughs) wheels and stuff, you had to make sure that NASA was, like, on board. And so you had to say, we're going to put this geocaching trackable on And Like, okay, really? It's like, no, no, it's going to work, you know. (laughs) You get all these people on board. These are the things we want to put on there. And uh
0: And and it's 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 fun. These are the fun things we get to do. Uh, uh, We have a piece of Mars meteorite that's going back. Yeah, we have a a scanner. And so we needed something that had nice uh, different mineralogy so that we could actually scan a a region of it to make sure everything was working correctly. So we got a piece of Mars on loan from the Natural History Museum. Uh, Eventually they may want it back. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to get it back. um i'd be happy to go get it for them uh well i wouldn't but i'd be happy to send somebody to go get it for them but it's on loan it's on the front of the rover uh we, we will scan that we'll take area maps of it and one of the things we want to look at from that is to see whether the meteorite changed with time because you know mars mars is a very hostile place it's got uh uh low pressure it's got lots of dust particles it's got other things going on chemistry on the surface and uh and that's the last thing, which is the spacesuit material. Which a lot of those uh, thing in the bottom of the, of the, the white uh, calibration targets are all spacesuit material. And so we've we've uh, they all have a reason to be on there. They're Teflon uh, or ortho fabric, um, and we can uh, we can use those to calibrate the spectrometer. But we can also see whether or not it degrades with time. Um, and if it degrades with time, then maybe it's not the right thing to use um uh as as space space material um so jsc was uh interested in looking at that as well um so it's a pretty cool little uh calibration target and everybody has a calibration target and everybody has things on the calibration target the mass Z calibration target has more of the humanity thing uh which is really cool um which is something we probably should have thought more about instead of really cool things like geocaching (laughs) spaces (laughs) and spacesuit material but um yeah it all works
2: I found that fascinating that you said that the, you know, we were talking about the other day, uh, getting ready for the show that you'd said that the the whole thing about the Smithsonian said it was on loan, and you're like, okay, really? Uh, yeah. Hope they don't want it back anytime soon because on loan, you know, I think it's going to be there a while. Just you know, uh, it, Natural
0: History Museum was very very good to work with. Carolyn Smith is the curator there, and she was uh, she was fantastic, and it's a really cool piece of Mars that basically been sitting in her lab, like I said, there's a lot of Mars meteorites and uh, they had one of this particular fall, SAU, um, and uh, uh, they didn't have, they had this other piece that they didn't, weren't 100% sure what to do with. So we said, we got an idea, we're gonna do a really cool experiment. And she's like, oh, that sounds like a really cool experiment. I'm in. And so, and away we ran with it. Um, so, and there it is. That's the, the one dead center is the meteorite.
2: The meteorite, yeah. So yeah, I love that you look at the list. And you got the sapphire disc, uh, you know, you got the Mars meteorite intensity target, which is the maze pattern. Um, different things in the uh, we talked about before, you know, about the polycarbonate spacesuit visor material to yep. see what how, what happens to it. Uh, yep. you know, which is cool that you are, you are testing that too. Um, but yeah, I, just uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just great. I just love the, Hey, look. And wanna... and the thing is, is it allows us to actually make sure the
0: instrument's working correctly and it's, it's fun at the same time. And that's kind of what we wanted to do um, with the whole thing. Cause you know, getting the public engaged is, is really important because what we do is really cool. And, and every time I go talk to a university or, you know, uh, like y'all um it's it's always fascinating and the more people that get excited about it because it, it is really cool and it's really interesting and yeah you, you know you may not grow up to be a rocket scientist but you can grow up and do science and uh and we're not all just by the book uh we sometimes have fun and, and sit around and design uh geocache targets with 21b baker street on it um so uh, yeah It yeah.
2: is that is awesome you know there's something that we run across as far as you know, with geology, you know, uh, you know, you, of course you're familiar you know, with earth caches. We'll talk about a little more geocaching now, as far as um, you know, the, the geology part, if it's done right, right, Jesse, if it's done correctly an earth cache can be uh, kind of fun to, to see and investigate you know, earth geology, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and then I, I think that, you know, they're, my uh, my my wife is you know her, her one of her favorite things is earth caches um but again um it's like any geocache if a geocache is done well then yeah. and you learn something whether whatever it happens to be or if it's if the hunt is a true hunt you know the, there's a lot of different things about about geocaching i think a lot of times the outside world that doesn't understand geocaching you know they go yeah, you know, there's it's a Tupperware at the bottom of a tree. What's that? You know, no. um, but you were saying like um, you were able to do some. All well, the 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 good thing I guess is that you've been able to fortunate thing is you've been able to uh, travel around the world and um, w- when you do have time to geocache, um, you're saying uh, I think you, you were able to do some. Was it in the Mojave that you got to do
0: it? We, couple- we, uh, we did we did a bunch of field work in the Mojave back in the early 2010s, and uh, we would always pull up the application. And when we're done our day, it's like 7 o'clock. It's not going to be dark for another couple hours. And you'd be out in the middle of absolute nowhere. And you, you, you'd be like in the part of Death Valley that you're sure that no one's been to for 50 years because uh, you can see the broken down car um, from 1910. Um, and you pull up the, ge- you open up the geocache and there's something around you to do, uh, when there's nothing else to do in the whole region. And that's pretty cool. And so you can go look at things and people are really, and then you realize there have been a lot of people around because then you look at the geocache and you say, wow, there, a lot of people have come to see this particular one. I can't believe anybody's been here. Um, but it makes you feel really cool. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's something that, that when you're in the field that I know a lot of uh, my geologic my ge- geologist friends really enjoy doing um, uh, and we, we we get a kick out of it I don't I don't go out in the field as much as I used to but
1: when I do I, I will pull up that, that app it makes sense that people would be interested in, in such a thing it's the same the same sense of adventure that sends people to the middle of Death Valley to look for a little box yeah. same thing that gets humans to... Explore other planets and other, you know, and continents back in the day and, and planets now. And it's that same sense of adventure on a different scale, slightly, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but that same sense actually, of adventure. Actually,
0: the scale is actually pretty cool because instead of, you know, when you go out into the field and you're doing field research, it can be months to years before you get a paper out of it or you figure out what's going on. The geocache, actually, you can get something really cool out of it in a couple hours if you could, um, which is, you know, actually does make you feel a little bit better when, when things aren't working correctly. Um, and sometimes they don't work correctly, so
2: uh, it's it's fun. Uh, Scott's asking an interesting question. Um, could someone create a Mars cache, even if we would have to armchair it for a while? Because obviously we can't be there. But I mean, it, it, which gets into I think some people. I mean, Scott knows this, but I mean, there's no there's no GPS satellites in Mars, so you couldn't get. Uh, but what's interesting about that I, that question is do does uh does jpl have some type of coordinate system for mars i mean is there some kind of way you could kind of look there, at is a it? J,
0: there is a mars coordinate system uh and it it, it, it it's up and I, I don't know how they define the zero latitude um well zero yeah. longitude um but they we do have orbital assets and you can actually you can see the rover you can get pictures of the rover and the lander insight uh, that's there up there now um, and uh, you could conceivably put up put up a coordinate system uh, on Mars um, we don't have a full way to judge exactly down to the you know centimeter as we do here but uh, eventually one day there will be a Mars GPS system I would I would think I think you'd have to do that uh, because the rover itself did I mean when we operate the rover we don't the rover doesn't talk to us directly the rover talks to orbital assets so the space we talk to the rover three times a day the orbit orbiter comes over where the where the mission is the mission then knows it's up there communicates up and then all the orbiter gets all the information and as the orbiter goes below the horizon then the orbiter then sends things back to the earth so the rover isn't talking directly to us it's talking to a an orbiter um, and so you always have to have that those things in orbit in order to, to communicate correctly, because um, it's too much power to go direct to Earth.
2: Right, because we're, uh, we're still we're still we're still in conversation with us, uh, with um, Opportunity. Did I get it right? Opportunity uh, uh, passed away, uh, as it were. That's right. Uh, uh, it's uh, a sad yeah. day.
0: Yeah, per, per, uh, yeah, Opportunity basically ran into the planet-wide dust storm and lost power because uh, it was solar. Uh, we still talk to Curiosity. Curiosity just drilled last week, we drilled a new hole. Uh, Mary Tamlin, I think is what the name of the hole was. Um, and uh, um, it's still going strong. Uh, eventually Curiosity will run out of power because it's a nuclear power source. Um, and then it'll just, uh, you know, one day you just won't hear from it anymore. Uh, same with Perseverance, which, you know, has a between a nine and 15 year lifespan depending on on how well the, the 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 nuclear power source uh, can generate heat oh cool yeah and and that's the that's the side thing is all the really cool uh, the other cool missions in the outer solar system cassini and galileo and with jupiter and saturn they got to choose when they died uh one day you're just going to pick up the phone and curiosity is not going to be there and, and you don't get to cho- get to choose when that is um because I mean, you know, maybe uh, electronics board will go because it gets too cold. The, the temperature ranges on Mars is usually goes down about minus 100 C up to about 0 C. So that that's every day. That's really hard on electronics. So the rover itself has something called survival heat, which uses to keep the electronics warm. Eventually, the rover won't be able to generate that much survival heat to keep the electronics warm. The electronics will start wearing out because of the, the thermal cycling of the electronics. Um, so imagine putting your phone in, in the oven, taking it out, putting it in the freezer, putting it in the oven and eventually the, 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 phone will die. And that's what happens to the the big giant rovers. Um, and it's a sad day when it happens, everybody gets, uh, used to it. Cause you, you work with this thing for, for years and years and years. I worked on curiosity for almost 10 years. Um, and you kind of, kind of becomes a cherished member of the family. Um, you think of it as a person.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh- uh, Ryan wants some AAAs. I don't know if AAAs are the best. Uh, uh, he, Ryan knows better. He knows the AAAs are not that reliable of a, of a power source. So come on, Ryan. You know better than that. Supposed to, and he's supposed to be going to Oregon, so I don't know what he's still doing watching the show. But anyway, uh, Owen said that uh, Mars Transverse Mercator MTM map series has been used to publish geologic and yeah. whatever coordinates with positive east. Longitude is the primary grid. That's interesting. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, I just, I'd forgotten
0: what the acronym was. It's yeah. uh, But it's they've, they've got, well, it, there's also Mars year. So uh, it's Mars year, I think uh, Mars year zero is from the first uh, mission to Mars. I think that was Mariner. So I think we're in like Mars year 70. Um, and that's important because Mars has a longer year. So you, you need to know, you need to be able to have a coordinate system for Mars as well as the Earth. So you can't just say, you know, a, a date. Uh, it's it, it, it's important to have those things, which is why we have the sols in the Mars year and things like that.
2: Um, and then uh, we want to know, Jesse, I want to know if if we could get one of the hills as you go in another area of Mars, uh, can we get one of the hills named after geocache talk? I just want to know if we could sort of secure so they, that, make sure that... Uh, Geo-catch, they usually talk, name talk. the geology after
0: things on the Earth, uh, um, and then eventually, my when my advisor, the Professor Tom Dwyer, passed away, they named a feature on Mars after him. So uh, oh. the first the first sample we picked up um, that we the first rock we picked up was uh, Jake Make, uh, Mateo Jake M uh, Mate Mateo, Jake M. was a rock. He was an engineer on, on MSL that passed away, and it was the first sample that we looked at on the surface. And I really wish I could say, pronounce his name correctly, but okay. my tongue right now. Jake
2: Matejevich. Mateovich. Mateovich. Matej. 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 I can say it. Yes. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're hoping for, you know, a Beagle Lake or something like that. would be kind of cool. No, no, because
0: that means I'll, I'll have passed away. We, we don't want oh, that for a long, yeah. long, long, long time.
2: Oh, yeah. they should change the rules so that it's for people that are, you know, I don't think they named alive. anything for
0: somebody who's still alive,
2: but. <laughs> oh, that's,
0: that's not know. good.
2: Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So Ryan says he's too nerdy not to listen. So, okay. Well, you, <laughs> you stick around, my friend. That's good. Um, yeah. So AAA service. We're sorry, Perseverance, but your membership only covers two charges. Per year and You're done.
1: Uh, I assume that every time we send another one up, though, we get better on the longevity of the power source we learned something new, um, right with the
0: with the nuclear power source it's it, it it's all about mass how much nuclear power you put into it so i mean how much nuclear material you put in there because it generate it's basically a heat generation source and there's a half-life associated with it so in order to keep that that source going longer you need to either increase the efficiency of electrical production from it or put more mass up there and while we've increased the efficiency of the energy production, its it hasn't been, actually, I don't know what the efficiency is. It's probably like, you know, in the high teens. Um, so eventually, yeah, they'll, they'll get to the point where it's much, much more efficient and will last much longer um, and hopefully soon because nobody wants to see every, I mean, once we get up there, it's so hard to get up there. It's so hard to put everything together. We've been working on this since uh-huh. 2013. We've been working on the concept of Sherlock since 1998. So, you know, this is a long time to be doing any of this. And uh, you want to make sure everything runs as long as you possibly can. Uh, The the rover itself, Perseverance, started off as a study back in 2010. And there have been people working on it ever since. Um, Mm. So it's a long way. And you want everything to work.
1: You want everything to be as long as as possible.
0: As as long as possible. Get as much science out of it as you possibly can.
1: Well, I think we're in a better age than we are technologically further ahead than we yeah. always then. But um like even the graphic Gary pulled up earlier, the, the amount of information that's funneled out to the public in real time, both with you know its its trajectory and everything else. And once it lands, the pictures that are being public, you know, they're pumped out to the public. It's not nobody's trying to hide anything. They're trying yeah. to expand knowledge, unlike the movies, you know, um yeah. they're trying to expand knowledge and and you know ignite that excitement for space. So hopefully the next generations and the next generations will you know, step into that field, and, you know, in your shoes or whatever.
0: Yeah. And if we look, if we found any, uh, I, I can't imagine I mean, if we found something really cool, I, I would tell everybody I knew. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the pictures, you know, there's actually a, a one of the websites that looks at the pictures every day and to see things. And you can, like I said, you can go online and get the pictures from Mars as fast as we get them from the science perspective. They're, they automatically upload it. All of our images with Watson will go online. As soon as they come down there's no filter there's no delay it's it's they hit the earth on the dsn and they get public they get pumped out to the publish uh, the public almost right. immediately
1: well you know and you know, that's what's fascinating and i think hopefully that will excite people right you're able to have access to that information so quickly
0: yeah yeah and we and we love talking about it so we we go out and give public tours and
1: get as many people interested as
0: possible because this is this is what this is what allows science fiction. This is the science fact that allows that science fiction. Right, right. Um, and
1: and, said, uh, of, you, I forget the pics, the megapixels you said from that uh, photograph earlier, but I mean it's just it's mind blowing billion,
0: billions of yeah, it's really cool. So uh, it's on one of the Mars sites. I wish I had the the uh, web web address, but you can go on there and you can scroll around yeah. and it's got you're you're there. It's it's amazing you're there. Uh, it's a fascinating uh, uh, panorama that they they created for Bass Camp.
2: yeah we'll put in the show notes I saw it too you know so I'm gonna yes. we'll throw in the show notes people can see that we put for people that are new to watching this show is on the geocache talk website we do put our show notes once we kind of clean it up a little bit we'll put that out under the show notes section and so if people want to see a link uh, the links that I've been showing tonight will all be uh, out there in the show notes you can go look them up and and check those out so uh, you know that'll be available um, tomorrow probably sometime so um, all right well uh, we're kind of at the end tonight Jesse and Dr. Beagle if there's some some last we will give everybody a chance to give sort of last thoughts tonight last last comments uh,
0: February 18th 2021 we we land we go through the seven minutes of terror and then we we are off on an amazing 11 year journey to do science pick up samples and and really see if mars had life associated with it and um or the origin of life started in Yezero in crater and it's going to be a fascinating fascinating 11 years uh it's going to be an awesome ride and we're going to learn so much about about this about the red planet and really where we are in the solar system and that's you can't you can't stress that enough of how cool that is. Um, and hopefully we'll encourage people to uh, at least understand science more often in the scientific process, because that's really what's important, especially nowadays where people start questioning science a little too much. Uh, the scientific process is something that we all fascinated by and, and um, it's gonna be a cool mission. I'm really looking forward to, I'm really looking forward to turning ourselves on for the first time. So.
1: Yeah. and. Yeah. It's something. I, can, I, can I say
0: this? Can I say this for my kids? Five yeah. more minutes. We'll be there in five more minutes. That's, <laughs> five that's, more that's minutes. the standard answer.
1: <laughs> there yeah. um, five more minutes. It's, it's, first funny. of all, thank you for coming on the show and, and talking yeah. about this and stuff like that. But uh, it, in a time when, you know, we need some positive stuff and we need people to stop questioning you said it, I didn't stop questioning science, it's real. Um, but that's that's a whole different show, right? But uh, you need a positive example of what science and math and physics and everything else is actually doing in the real world. This is an exciting way to see that happening in real time, and it's all connected to our hobby, which is great. It's connected to geocaching yeah. now. We have geocaching tie into it too, so even if you weren't into it before, come on, th- th- this is we live in the best time in human history. This is awesome. We get yeah. this just unfolds right in front of our eyes. It's another planet. I understand our hobby is based on our planet currently, but guess what? It's going to get there eventually. So it's going to, in February, our hobby now goes to Mars. It's now it's two planets. So um, really cool that you're on here. And, you know, hopefully this is something positive for people to get excited about right now. So
0: good. Yeah. I hope. And and really, thanks for having me. I love talking about this stuff As you probably can tell because I probably talked way too much, but yeah, I love talking about this. I love bringing the excitement to the, um uh the the general public. It's great.
2: No, it's great. Maybe oh, we hey, could hey. um we could do one well I know you're gonna be you're gonna be busy that day, but maybe when we get maybe closer to the date, maybe, you know, we don't want to yeah, like you said, we, we don't want to do the seven minutes of terror with that uh it, I'm sure you'll be in, in <laughs> you be at JPL uh <laughs> watching the last few minutes of it is it uh but we're we'll we'll be watching with you, you know. So yeah uh it's it's great, yeah, thank you so much again um fascinating uh I love it hopefully I seem like a lot of people did you know loved Good. it as well tonight so uh cool all right well we're gonna do our outro and we'll see everybody uh next week uh or actually Tuesday uh we got our next show, which is puzzle talk so all right, if I can push the right button, we're gonna go here folks, we hope you've enjoyed huh. And it won't come up. Okay, that's weird.
1: I put Gary in charge of this rover, so
2: yeah, don't put me in <laughs> charge of
1: it, or nobody's gonna die.
2: <laughs> How weird! It won't show. That's okay. We're just gonna then say goodnight, <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Thanks again. You bet.